where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello and welcome back to When Nobody Knows Your Name. I'll tell you what, John, this is a much more lighthearted episode than last week. This is For Real Men Only, Season 8, Episode 8. I forgot to mention something last week. Yeah? I missed the birth of the baby crane. Troy was in for the episode. Oh, yeah. And I missed it. He was. How, how could I do that? Yep. Just like Fraser, I missed it. Yeah, well, there you go. That's, that's what happens. It's, uh, it happens <laughs> to the best now, of us, John. I'm here. I'm here now. That's the main thing. <laughs> so tell me about this episode, James. It aired on November 16th, 1989, directed by Jimmy B, James Burroughs, written by David Pollock and Elias Davis. Do you want to know a little known fact about the uh, air date of this episode, James? It's one week after the Berlin Wall. I oh, know his little known facts, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's special about uh, what's special about this uh, this date? Oh, no, I was going to say the same thing. Oh, it's <laughs> uh, I think it was definitely an interesting episode. Like I, I said, it was nice to hear a little bit about the birth. Seeing as I missed it, I'm glad that I'm here for this episode. Yeah, for a different, uh, a different event. It's a yeah. crane-centered episode crane a trois as they say in this episode and i love a fraser centered one so i'm excited for it certainly an eventful episode for for the cranes well b- before we get to talk about this new family unit in the bar uh should we dip into the cold open woody has a delivery which is nice yeah he's, he's got his grandmother's cleared out the attic so he's got some some old-time memorabilia some family heirlooms maybe including a memorial quilt, which is mm. lovely. All of the memories of his childhood stitched together by uh, the women of his family. I don't have that. I don't have that sort of thing. No, I don't either, but I, I don't feel like I've lived the life that Woody's lived because it sounds like uh, he's, he's danced with death a few times. <laughs> <laughs> he has indeed. There's a, there's a word for that, isn't there? Uh, looking. well either way we find out from this cold open that woody's danced with death many a time and he's got a quilt to tell the tale yes he does but he finds it endearing he likes it you know and that's that's lovely i think woody's family are sort of something to behold within the bar i think because he's the youngest i think he's more connected to his roots than anyone else at this point and he's always talking about back home and his large extended family So this is just sort of a a physical embodiment of that, I guess. Sam's likely a Boston local. Cliff is a Boston local. Norm, we assume, is from Mm. Chicago. And I think it was said at one point that he's from Chicago. Carla said that she moved there when she was very young, Mm. I think. Rebecca's obviously not a Boston local. She's from San Diego. Mm. Should we kick off into the the main episode, James? Because we kick off with Carla and she's got a little bit of a, what would you call it? A petition. Uh, and she asks for Cliff's John Hancock, and he says he doesn't put his John Hancock anywhere. And she says, "If you don't put it there, it'll be a Betsy Ross." Which I thought classic Carla line. She's she's back on form. Yep, yep. I thought that was clever mm. as well. And it turns out Carla's petitioning to get Eddie's number on his hockey jersey retired from the team in his honor after his death. So last week we thought was going to be so the the chapter closed for Eddie, but his character's going to sort of. It's going to live on in the memories of the the series a bit longer, I guess. So in this episode, that's sort of her ambition to to see his legacy live down. Yeah. And, you know, there's 
There's a, I think it takes a lot for a number to be retired. Mm. So the number 42 is retired from a lot of teams because of uh, Jackie Robinson, uh, the baseball player, you know, because of because how prolific he was. Recently in the Red Sox, they retired uh, David Ortiz number or, or Big Pappy's number. It takes quite the player to retire a number, I think, is uh, the point you get into in Eddie's time in the rink. Uh, perhaps isn't cut it, um, but on top of that, uh, Norm asks what number is he uh, and says that that number is actually the most popular guy on the team at the moment, the one who's like the top scorer. So the chances are slim, but Carla's persevering and her way of doing it is almost the crowdsourcing of signatures to really drive a hard position in this uh, stance. So she's going around the bar, getting names, getting signatures, and she's on a mission for this episode. Yes. Well, that leads to a little exchange with two barflies. Uh, maybe not barflies, actually. Two patrons. They're not, they're not that regular. They, they they seem pretty classy. <laughs> but uh, they sign the signature. Uh, one of them questions who Eddie LeBeck is, and the other one says he's that cartoon skunk who's always chasing the cats. Which, <laughs> which is not entirely an. We mentioned last week how uh, they're both French. We mentioned last week how there's a bit of shade thrown at Eddie Lebeck's character under the circumstances how he might have been written out. I think this might continue for a little bit. I thought it was going to be one episode and done, move past it. They're comparing Jay Thomas to a skunk, is what they're Pepe doing. Le Pew. <laughs> no, nothing then. Yeah, I think maybe this will continue a bit, but I thought that was another way that the writers have maybe tried to dig a little bit of a dig at him, maybe. But. Mm. I've not watched Pepe Le Pew in years. I, don't, I, I feel like there must only just be one of them. They just bet they're saying one. <laughs> <laughs> one episode and done. It's like, may not be the same with American children's cartoons, but a lot of British children's cartoons, there's only about 12 episodes <laughs> and out. And then they just put them on loop because children don't remember. <laughs> the children are going, this is a different episode. I think that's the same. I think most classic cartoons are sort of born out of a few episodes and then just put them on repeat, you know? I still watch the classic Scooby-Doo, you know, the first iteration <laughs> uh, in my youth, even though there'd been many variations and uh, sequels, remakes, etc. You seem like someone who watched the, the... I will have done, yeah. The one with the laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, an episode of a few stories. It is, yeah. Uh, the other story is that Rebecca is being told to throw a big retirement party that's an interesting thing james because rebecca's kind of over corporate life she doesn't want to climb that corporate ladder anymore i don't think she's grew uh less of because the first series she was in there was very much a people pleaser essence and to go above and beyond and try and climb the corporate ladder this episode she's calling them corporate losers deadheads doesn't want to do the events that they want her to put on and is otherwise annoyed by their presence i like this rebecca <laughs> this is a good Rebecca. Like, I don't want to play your games anymore, um, which I, I get, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, she's technically the manager mm. of Cheers, if only in uh, title. Mm. Have they still got a joint manager or, or are they, is it just her? I think it's joint management. Yeah. So she's trying to throw this retirement party and... Yeah, Mr. Sheridan has called her up to throw a retirement party. It's just... A slog, you know, it's a, and a rut that she's stuck in now. But luckily, the cranes come in. <laughs> uh, 
with with some uh, baby news and a baby related joke. Yeah, they've they've got a party of their own. Uh, Fraser's fully embracing being a dad. Yeah, let, let's play as yeah. intro because he's 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 up to I wouldn't say dad jokes, but they're definitely a new style of humor. Look who's making his first trip to the big bar. Oh, show everybody his little fake ID. <laughs> Fraser, please. Oh, I'm just having a little fun. You know, I've tapped into a whole new vein of humor with this baby thing. Oh, for example, how many babies does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, none. Babies don't have the motor skills or the depth perception to change a light bulb. <laughs> that one does get me. I like this one. I think uh, <laughs> Lilith laughed, which means it must have been a good joke. She don't laugh for nothing. It works as a joke, you know. It works, but it's got layers as to why the joke works, and this is why I like it. And I've said this to everybody, and it's true of any of any comedy. Expectation and surprise. You take the, and it's why the audience laughs, not because the punchline is funny, but because the combination of a very staple, predictable setup with a punchline that isn't. You were expecting puns, you got facts. Yeah, and it's that, it's that surprise there. You know, obviously it relies on the uh, character knowledge of, of Fraser and Lilith and the familiarity in that they are very literal. That's how it works as a joke, and that's why I liked it, because I'm like, huh, oh, classic Fraser. <laughs> well, not only in, in this scene do we uh, hear some wonderful jokes, but we also find out the name of their baby. Little Frederick. Don't be calling him Freddy or Freddy Boy or whatever. No, no abbreviations. A little. Didn't we have a frog called Freddy here in the UK? Some kind of chocolate treat. That was a Freddo. Freddo. Yeah. Well, don't call him that either. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we also find out that he's got his bris coming up, which is a, a bit of a party, a party to rival uh, Larry's <laughs> retirement, I'd say. And I, I'm not sure if you, but, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if you picked this out, James. Yeah, but you can tell the commitment of the party through the platter that they uh, bring into it, a food. It's old seafood. Isn't uh, so it? Rebecca's very doesn't Rebecca doesn't care about Larry's retirement and has got a day old seafood platter from Melville's. Uh, Carla says that the shrimp is falling off the skewers because it's so, what's the word, withered. And, and limp because it's been sat out for a day. Rebecca's reply is, well, get a glue stick. Uh, in contrast, the bris is going to be uh, catered by some lovely sandwich platters, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and as opposed to gluing things together, it's separating them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that was a nice segue, James. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a party that uh, the rest of the gang have all been invited to. And uh, just as Fraser's leaving to say goodbye to them. He uh, explains a little bit clearer what the bris is. Yeah, well, because Lilith is the only one who is mm. Jewish among among the characters, uh, so they are all just like, yeah, bris, that sounds like, you know, like a baby yeah. shower type thing. Don't worry about it, you know? That's not what it is, John. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so- it's a ritual circumcision. Yeah, which the the gang feel like uh, it gets a little bit of a wince and a cringe from the gang who uh, initially think it's for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I suppose they're uncomfortable celebrating this because it, it sounds painful. 
Yeah, and it's not it, in the UK. It's not common one because we don't have as large a Jewish population. Two, because there's been a push against it medically. So you know, there's there's not as many doctors willing to do it because they don't uh, see the health reasons to do so. Which I'm not a doctor. I can neither confirm nor deny. But that's why why it's not so common in the UK. Those two reasons. Yeah. And uh, it gets the the gang feeling a little bit uh, a little bit of cold feet of turning up to this party, I guess, because they're they're a bit more reserved about going. And uh, the next day, when this party's supposed to happen, Sam arrives at the bar when he should be there. Sees Norm there. Later, is followed by Cliff and Woody arriving. <laughs> it's not good, is it? No. I mean, I get it. I, I get why uh, they're a bit anxious isn't necessarily the correct word. Uneasy, I suppose. I wouldn't want to watch partly due to giving the baby privacy, you know? I don't think you all gather around and watch. Well, then the parents I can understand. I don't know why they need so many guests. I think it's more of just a sort of celebration. As a, I don't think everyone watches, James. I think, I think they more celebrate. It happens. They eat some sandwiches. I think that's more the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> that that could be true. I don't think there's like a operation theatre kind of setup. <laughs> I've I've never I've never been to one. Um, I only know uh, of it from Seinfeld because there's an episode where a baby is having a bris and uh, Kramer kidnaps the baby because he thinks it's uh, inhuman. <laughs> so <laughs> so he kidnaps the well, baby. I tell you what, the only person who has a valid reason not to go is Rebecca because she's running the bar and also Larry's retirement party is the same night. Uh, she may be giving a lacklustre uh, party, but she's still got to be there and make sure they got drinks. They've got some old seafood. It's it's Larry's party and I'll cry if I want to. I tell you what, Larry is, I feel for Larry because he's getting roasted and he's at the bar ordering a drink and he's yeah. like, my only reply I can think of is, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> which Woody finds hilarious and says can I use that one <laughs> oh poor Larry um, but then to much of Rebecca's uh, I was going to say chagrin that's more something you would say but I'm going to say it much to Rebecca's chagrin Mr Sheridan arrives when Carla asks who is he Rebecca gives a very long explanation Carla questions it and she says he's the head dead head yes he's the boss yep. He's El Numero Uno. <laughs> and um, Rebecca finds out that the reason why she's actually been entrusted with this party is because Mr. Sheridan remembers how good she throws parties. And Larry is not only uh, a very personal friend going into retirement, it's actually his wife's brother who's going into retirement. And he entrusted her to throw a really good shindig. Yeah, he's also the one who Rebecca had to babysit his mm. dog. Dog sit, dog sit. That's the word. Yeah. <laughs> we digress. Listen to the episode Adventures in House Sitting. You'll get all your info there. But essentially, Mr. Sheridan went, did a good job, Rebecca. Throw a retirement party for my brother-in-law. Why not? So he arrives expecting uh, quite a big party. Obviously, it's a pitiful party in the back room, uh, in the pool room at Cheers. And Rebecca is... Uh, regretting her decisions and realizing she needs to make a big party quick. Alongside this, uh, the gang all realize that they've missed Fraser's party and decide they uh, should really go and are about to leave Cheers to support Fraser. Someone steps through the door, James. It's Fraser. 
He's, he's kidnapped his own child. Yeah, well, again, for similar reasons uh, to to what the Kramer did mm-hmm. when I couldn't, I didn't want to uh, do that to him. I think it's because there's that obviously uh, religious divide between them, where to Lilith it's you know a, a tradition, tradition, <laughs> and to Fraser it's just a thing that Lilith wants to do to their child. I think as a as a parent, he's coming at it very much from a a, a male standpoint as well. Yes. Uh, and I think that's probably why he's done it as well. Uh, alongside that tradition and the fact that it's it's not his religion himself. So he's very protective, which has led him to kidnap his own child and take them to Cheers. <laughs> uh, and they say, uh, what did what did Lilith say when you took him away? And he says, I didn't look back. I just ran. Frazier tries to talk to Sam about the situation. And Sam sort of, uh, not comforts, reassures, I guess is what you'd say. Mm. Reassures. Frasier and Frasier agrees and starts to go off on one, then realizes how pompous he is. I mean, how can you go back to a room full of people that think you're a, a total idiot? I mean, how do you do it, Cliff? <laughs> hey, I don't really like to divulge. Hey! Come here, listen, listen, I know what you tell me in a situation like this. First you say a lot of gobbledygook that no one could understand, but then you'd get me to go back there and face the music admit the truth well you're right sam confronting one's fears is one of the five ways to resolve an inner conflict of course the other four being god aren't i a pompous ass oh you're not pompous listen i'll tell you what we're all gonna go back there with you frazier goes off and he has the baby hidden under his coat which reminds woody of a game that he did back in hanover and which he keeps suggesting to rebecca as a party game which I think sounds <laughs> all right, actually. What's the game, John? I'm trying to figure out what the game was. It's Hide Bob's Pants. Oh, <laughs> that's a bit different than a baby under Fraser's jacket. But whilst uh, little Frederick is under refuge at Cheers, we get sort of the close of the other two narratives. The first being Rebecca's big party, where uh, Sam suggests that the way that she can save this party is to hire a wet t-shirt contest to arrive. Which is a typical Sam suggestion. Well, I, I like Rebecca's response where he says, oh, you can order it like a pizza. And uh, he's about to order it and she says, no, you can't do that. It's it's degrading kind of thing. And then she goes to call and says, oh, when a woman does it, it's just good business. That is a good response. Yeah. <laughs> Putting Sam in his place. <laughs> yeah. It's Rebecca sort of being uh, desperate, but both thought right at the same time, I think. Very much so. Uh, unfortunately for Rebecca, this doesn't go to plan because it, it becomes an even more pity party because by the sounds of it, the party that's going on in the pool room depresses them as well. Yeah, the t-shirts are wet, but with tears. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what it's come down to. <laughs> Eventually, Fraser and Lilith return with the baby and ask if they can use the pool room for the bris. Mm. And Rebecca says, why not? My career's dead. I'm thinking of letting Woody hide my pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, Lilith and the rest of the brisk party arrive at Cheers. Lilith takes Fraser into the office for uh, a very long conversation, it seems. A conversation is a stretch. Yeah. More Lilith <laughs> talking to Fraser. Sam knocks on the door. Fraser answers and says, it'll be over soon. It'll be my turn to talk. Yeah, <laughs> um, like you say, he gets brought round, and they decide that the brisk can happen within the pool room, 
which sounds incredibly unsanitary, James. I imagine the doctor has some kind of... No, at, at this point, you cannot win me round to say, yeah, it's probably all right. He's, he's doing it on a pool table. You've got to tell me that's not, oh. that's, you know, that's not protocol. <laughs> it isn't. That's back alley uh, stuff. No, I'm just trying to think. <laughs> oh, I had a surgery in the back alley. This, I mean, just to be more immersive, you know, for the audience there, it wasn't a bris, <laughs> but it, um, I had an ingrown toenail, right? Mm. Uh, and... <laughs> I can tell you're in, like, I don't like where this is going. I'm like, red lights and, you are know, flashing in. Yeah. You know, they have to basically get some of the nail out so that it's no longer ingrown. It wasn't something I needed to go to hospital for, but it was a level of discomfort and slight pain that I needed to go to, like, a foot doctor for. But this was up in my parents' hometown, which is this small town in Scotland. So as a result, the foot doctor was literally, you had to walk down an alleyway, and it was... It was there, so uh, there was no anaesthetist or, or, or pain-killing thing doing. It was someone going at my toe with a scalpel. So there you go. I thought, you know, we may not have done the this episode justice and people wincing, but there you go. I'll be honest, James, you started talking, you said ingrown toenail, and my head just went, always sunny in Philadelphia, James has a toe spoon. <laughs> I don't have a toe knife, but it wasn't. It was a. It was a proper medical professional, but it did feel a bit, a bit toe knifey. Yeah, I reckon with that story, James, you could have rescued a retirement party of Larry. Yeah, they they wouldn't needed a drink after it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Unprompted, James told us about when he had surgery in an alleyway. We, okay. <laughs> to close Rebecca's story here. Mr. Sheridan is actually quite pleased with the party. He says he doesn't quite understand it, but it's somehow been a success because Larry's leaving with one of the women from the wet t-shirt contest and he's going to, I think, marry her, I think was the sort of end conclusion, and that he's going to leave Mr. Sheridan's spare room. If my story wasn't uh, wincy enough, Cliff has a story about uh, the uh, traditions and history uh, surrounding religious ceremonies which will play the original rites of passage started with the jungle tribes down there in borneo yeah when a young jungle tribal lad was uh, on the brink of puberty they'd bring him forward and uh, take out this uh, large sharpened clamshell oh no no that time they would uh, fill it with dip pass it around with your dibs oh. and they'd take these two Big jagged rocks in there. Yeah, clip, clip, clip. Hang them together and calling the tribes out of the hills. You know, and then the uh, witch doctor stepped up with this long, sharpened bamboo staff and just oh, sort of shoved it into the ground, hung a flag on it, and they danced around it uh, pretty much till they dropped, really. Well, when do they circumcise the kid? What do you mean, circumcise? You know, Jews in Borneo, you muliak. <laughs> favorite line is the end there are no jews in borneo <laughs> it's so, so matter of fact as well which i quite liked about it i like also when they go into the pool room for the bris cliff and norm have put on yarmulkes mm. which is nice of them you know respectful and uh, norm's takeaway is if he could eat through that he can eat through anything yeah which you know to go point <laughs> everyone's got to take their own experiences through a spiritual celebration i guess yeah, I don't think I've been to a spiritual or 
I don't think I've been to anything particularly religious in years. Ah, well. <laughs> well, another kind of religion, James, is sport. And we'll, uh, we, we need to close Carla's story, of course, because after all of those signatures, she took it to uh, the team and the Bruins, they're not going to retire as number, James. But as a sort of consolation to this, they're going to give uh, Carla season tickets, which uh, she's actually chuffed with. That's what she wanted all along. Yeah, she says, finally, the kids might respect him now that he's, uh, his death has brought them season tickets for the Bruins this year. Shall we talk about the cast? That sounds like a perfect opportunity, James. B.B. Neweth as Dr. Lilith Stonen. Michael Curry as Mr. Sheridan. Uh, Jay Robinson as Larry. He also appeared in Star Trek, the original series, Bewitched, Hawaii Five O, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask, Mannix, Kolchak the Night Stalker, Train Ride to Hollywood, Phyllis, The Waltons, The Bay City Roller Show, Okay, uh, Buck Rogers in the 20th Century, Barney Miller, Chips, Night Court, Days of Our Lives, Murder, She Wrote, Sinatra, The Nanny, and many more. Rick Pudell as Dr. Levinson. He also appeared in Beretta, Macmillan and Wife, The Six Million Dollar Man, Laverne and Shirley, Lunch Wagon, The Jeffersons, Fame, Family Ties, L.A. Law, Knott's Landing, Matlock, Days of Our Lives, American Dad, and many more. Michael Holden as Joe. He previously appeared in Season 5, Episode 10, Everyone Imitates Art, and Season 7, Episode 16, The Crane Makers, as Customer. Gilbert Geryon as Will. He also appeared in Logan's Run, The Philadelphia Experiment, and The Landscaper's Daughter. He was a creative consultant on Larry Flint, The Right to be Left Alone, and was a writer-producer on American Blue Note. Melanie Kinneman as Tanya. She also appeared on Saturday Night Live, General Hospital, Hill Street Blues, Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, Thunder Alley, The Once and Future Smash, and many more. And Philip Pullman is uncredited as Phil. All these people go to the Briss. <laughs> a lovely lineup, I think, for the for the Briss. Yeah. And how does the Briss end? John? Well, uh, like you said, we, we see Clifford Norm leaving, then shortly after we see Sam come out with their baby Frederick in his arms saying... Don't worry, baby, everything will be fine. And then uh, Fraser walks on afterwards, carrying Lilith in a very similar way, saying, it's okay, baby, everything will be fine. She is distraught. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, is, she is crying. And, oh, yeah, she couldn't handle it, John. And uh, he says, what do you say? Next time, shall we have a girl? And that's how we close this episode. Fraser's good with the jokes now. <laughs> yep. That's uh, Cliff arriving with some trivia. Thank you, Cliff. That's a nice hat you're wearing. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. We open this episode with... uh... A lovely package received by Woody from his grandmother. We saw, heard all about these quilts, which meant had a lasting memory, each one of them. Can you uh, talk about any of the times Woody almost died, James? He he fell off a stage. Yeah. Beanstalk. There was a house fire Mm -hmm. uh, and something to do with a well drowning or or being trapped uh, under rockfall or something. You got most of them, James. Uh, smallpox was the one you didn't get. The house fire, 
I was fine there. It was that he was running away and almost fell in a well. But, uh, you know, I think that's definitely ah. uh, three quarters of a point, I reckon. <laughs> Better find a way to scrape a quarter of a point somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Cliff states a fact about the human umbilical cord that, while probably nonsense, does cause B.B. Neweth to break character and laugh while stood behind Frasier. What is this fact? He says it's mostly potassium, and that's why the likingness to a banana is uh, accurate. Uh, yet 90% potassium. Uh, yeah, it's definitely false. <laughs> I think that that's one of the lovely things about some of Cliff's rambles, is some of them are so much just improvised that they do catch other cast members out. You know, uh, Stefan from Saturday mm. Night Live, mm-hmm. John Mulaney was the writer for, for Stefan, Bill Heater was the actor, and John Mulaney would often change the lines seconds before Bill Hader was on air, which is, and he'd just go to the the cue card guy and tell him to write down something different, which is why so often you see Bill Hader just hiding, <laughs> hiding behind his hands because it was just John Mulaney <laughs> making him laugh all the time. I tell you what, James, uh, we focused a lot on the, the legacy of a, of a number on a sports jersey, but what was Eddie's number? This was a bit of a trick question because didn't uh, didn't the, it used to be something else and then it was says something here. I want to say it was thirty. According to this episode, it's number thirty-eight. Ah, I, I'd say that's worth a quarter point. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, got a point. Rebecca's signature is on the form, although Rebecca didn't sign this herself. Carla signed Rebecca's name, but where is it placed? I can only remember one person, and it's between Tom Cruise and someone else. You'll be mad when you hear the answer. Is it David Hasselhoff? So prominent in our last episode. <laughs> no, it it was a it was a cryptic clue. It's Mel Gibson. Oh, so mad, yeah. <laughs> like Mad Max. Uh, James, I've got a question for you for the. Well, I mean, it's trivia time, so I've obviously got a question for you. I've got a question for you. <laughs> uh, how many locations is this episode set in? Well, we don't see that many. We only see the. Bar, yeah, was, I think. Like, we don't leave the bar. Yeah, It was a trick question, James. It's a rare instance now where we literally do not leave the bar. We don't even go to the pool room despite all the action in it. We just stay in that bar. Yeah. It's very much a bottle episode. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I liked it so much. But it's a lovely time where they've just just written for that one space. And they've whatever house is happening in the episode, they just write it as people sort of bringing it back to the bar. So it was a bit of a trick question there. But yeah, I think you got it right. One point. We find out about uh, the way Fraser and Lilith plan to bring Frederick round to different places. Uh, a sort of papoose, if you will. But uh, what what are they using to carry their child, James? I was going to say a papoose type thing, but uh, no, that isn't. Uh, they call it the native rebozo. It's used by the women of Mexico to keep the baby close and warm and enable them to feel the mother's heartbeat. That's last call then, James. And I guess uh, it's that time to decide what we'll be drinking this episode. Well, uh, I've I've had a look up some options. Maybe a maybe a Mazeltov cocktail. How's mm. that? You know, that's that's a pun, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a good one at that. It sounds good to me, James. It sounds better than a day old platter of seafood from Malville's, which is funny. Well, not funny. A coincidence because uh, seafood isn't is it's not kosher. Yeah, what a bad bris. <laughs> The way you said it, it sounded like a catchphrase. <laughs> Maybe it uh, will be by the end of this series. 
but yeah, no, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking a Mazeltov cocktail, you know, Mazeltov, you know, well done, congratulations, good fortune has occurred, etc. I think that sounds quite good. Well, that, that sounds really good. I tell you what, James, that cocktail sounds excellent to me. And uh, if I was looking to mix up that cocktail, I might be able to find it in our uh, newsletter, which is uh, through our patron. If anyone listening wants to support us, we have a lovely newsletter every month featuring uh, cocktail recipes, guests of honours of the week. What else is in that, James? Uh, some upcoming news for us, some little uh, behind the scenes on what we're up to, because, you know, as it's coming to uh, the end of the year, you know, we're in December now, then uh, there'll be some things to look forward to uh, towards the end of this year, 2022, I, you know? I tell you what, James, that sounds excellent to me. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to lifting up this Mazel Tov cocktail uh, to this episode. I may not have been there for the birth, James, but I was there for the bris. And in some ways, you know, that's uh, better. You can have more people at a bris. Uh, in some ways, that's for real men only. This has been where nobody knows your name. A Cheers Podcast.